Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Let us seek the Lord's face for his blessing upon us as we consider his word tonight. Our gracious God and loving eternal Father in heaven, we thank thee this evening that we can come to thee in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice, our God, for the gospel, uh, the saving gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And Lord, we pray as we come to thy word tonight, we pray that it will reach the hearts of men and women and young people. And we pray that every listener tonight will be impacted by the power of thy word through the power of the Holy Spirit. We look to thee for help tonight to be given to us now. I am trusting thee for power. Thine shall never fail. Words that thou thyself hast given me must and shall prevail, we ask in Jesus' name, for God's eternal glory. Amen. In the closing moments of our service tonight, I want to draw your attention to the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel and to the final part of the portion that we read from this evening, verses 17 to 22. The subject tonight is the one thing missing. The one thing missing. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, we have recorded for us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If you had met these two men during their lifetimes, who in this church tonight are listening here tonight, would have chosen Lazarus instead of the rich man. Few, if any, I expect. And yet if you could have seen them five seconds after death, the choice would have been made in favor of Lazarus. Even though the rich man had all the world's goods and so much plenty and so much possession. Yet, as far as eternity was concerned, he was impoverished. While, in contrast, Lazarus had nothing of this world's goods, but now he is comforted, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and in the presence of his Lord and Savior. Before us in this passage tonight, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, we have a young man who seemed to have everything. And yet when Jesus Christ searched and sifted out his life, he finds him lacking in that one thing that was absolutely essential, that could have guaranteed him eternal life. You know, people in this world tonight dream of becoming rich, winning the lottery, inheriting a large stash of money. You see, they're rushing there to get their lottery ticket, waiting for their numbers coming up If you were given the opportunity, would you be willing 
to trade places with this rich young man? That's exactly what I would like us to do. I want to look at what he had going for him, at the one thing he was lacking, the one thing that was missing in his life. And then let's see whether or not you would really like to be in this young man's shoes. As we look at this passage this evening, please take some time to look into your own life. See what you have. And see if you have this one thing that makes all the difference. As far as the here and now is concerned, and as far as the hereafter is concerned. One thing missing. I pray that God will write His Word upon your heart tonight and cause you to think about your soul and about eternity and about your need of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight as your Savior. As we look at this man here, we first of all see his possessions. He had great possessions. Verse 22 teaches us he had prosperity. There's nothing wrong with having money or having prosperity. But here was a real problem. And of course, the Word of God identifies that in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It is not money that's the problem. It's the love of it. But money with all of its power and with all of its potential, does not impress God and can never provide salvation for the soul. We think of that rich man who had so much there in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 20. So much of worldly goods, he said, I will pull down my barns and build greater. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. I will take my knees, I will eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And whose shall these be which thou hast provided? And here's a man who had seemingly everything of this world's goods but made no preparation for eternity. Is that how it is with you tonight? Here's a man. He had prosperity. He had position and power. He was a ruler. The Bible tells us that. Holding a position of honor among the people, respected and regarded. But again, the Lord Jesus Christ was unimpressed you see, in the eyes of God, all men are sinners, all of us. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Salvation cannot be earned by influence or by one's position in this world. Salvation is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this man not only had prosperity and he had position and power, but he had purity. As we read here in this portion of Scripture, verses 19 and 20, when the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned several commandments, yet he responded by saying that he had kept all these from his youth. And the Lord Jesus Christ did not challenge this young man's claims. It indicates that he was a moral man. However, morality is not enough to get you into heaven. There are millions upon millions of decent, moral people in a lost eternity. The Word of God tells us that good works will never be enough to save our souls. Human merit cannot obtain for us salvation. The Bible teaches us In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Titus 3 and 5, we read, it is not by works of righteousness that we have done. It was a common belief among the Jews in Christ's day that good works were the secret of salvation. And you know, it hasn't changed today, in society today. Many, even listening to this meeting tonight or this service tonight, think that God will weigh up all your good works against the bad that you've done. And whatever comes out ahead as far as the balance is concerned, that will give you the credit for eternity. Others feel they need to compare their lives with the lives of their neighbors or perhaps family members or other people in society. And they believe that they have a little more moral than those around about them and have a little more good works than those around about them. Then that will give them the credit they need for eternity. How many there are in a Christless eternity who've been seeking all their life to obtain good works and favor with God, and yet died without Christ. And where Christ is, they cannot be. You'll notice his urgency, verse 17. He came running to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was looking for the answers he needed. He realized life was not going to last forever. Oh, how lost people today need that same urgency to get the matter of their soul's salvation settled. Time is passing quickly. Someone said to me just a day or so ago, we're nearly through January. In fact, by Wednesday, we will be through January. A month of a new year will have passed. The Bible tells us, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The Bible tells us that our days are like a handbreadth. 
Our months are nothing before God. We spend our days as a tale that is told, the Scripture tells us. Our days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. There are many, many terms in Scripture that indicate to us the swiftness of time, the brevity of life. And so God says to us tonight, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And God says to us no less than twice in one chapter there in Hebrews, Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. As a matter it demands urgency. This young man came running to Christ. Will you run to Christ tonight? Will you make haste to the Savior? before the service ends. And then humility. Verse 17 tells us, if you look at the passage here, he came running and kneeled to him and said, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He came before Christ humbly. He had a humble spirit. Oh, yes, he was a ruler. Oh, yes, he had so many things going for him as far as this world was concerned, and yet he humbled himself before the Lord Jesus Christ. This man was urgent, this man was humble, but he wasn't saved. Is your heart humble tonight? It's a good thing, it's a commendable thing, it's a needful thing. You have a humble, contrite spirit. It will not save you, friend. It will not save you. You'll notice his inquiry. He said, Good Master, verse 17, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This man cared where he would be in eternity. It tells us he believed in heaven and in hell. He wanted the best afterlife he could achieve. And yet, a desire such as this young man had is not enough to gain entrance into heaven. There are people who have spent a lifetime in the house of God, and maybe even you tonight, and long to go to heaven when you die, and yet you've never truly been saved. You've a desire for it, but you've never done anything about it. And unless you do something about it, you will never be saved. You will never be saved. You'll notice he was loved by the Lord. Jesus beholding him loved him. Verse 21. My friend, God loves you tonight. Though you're not saved, Though you're yet in your sin, though you maybe have hardened your heart against the gospel, time out of number, yet God loves you. His love reaches you tonight, no matter what your situation of life may be. Just a few days ago, I sat across a table from a prisoner in the Gabri prison. I'm not going to relate his story uh, that he told me it's between him and myself, confidential. But in the midst of all of that, 
I was able to tell him, naming him by his name, God loves you. God loves you. He said to me, Alan, that's the first time I realized anybody loved me. And you know, I thought about that. I've been thinking about it since. And if I, and I'm not going to, could relate that man's story, you could understand why he said that. But friend, God loves you tonight. Jesus, beholding him, loved you, loved him. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says, Romans 5 and 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was reading Wilbur Chapman's story. In one of his meetings, There was a tramp. He was asking for money. He came to this man in the meeting. He said, Sir, could you give me money? I'm desperate. I'm down and out. He put his arms around him. And do you know what he discovered? It was his father. He hadn't seen him for 18 years. They were reunited. I thought of the prodigal. So long in the far country. And then he realized his father still loved him. He'd never ceased to love him. And they were reunited. God loves you tonight. God loves you tonight. And so we, we see something of this man, his possessions. But we see also his problem. You see, when this man came to the Lord Jesus, he simply held up the mirror of God's Word to him to reveal his true state, the sinfulness of his heart. There was a revelation of his problem. And like a mirror, the Word of God has that power to show us ourselves as we really are. So what happened here. The Word of God was brought before this man, the commandments of God. And of course, when we read of Scripture of the laver in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 30, it was made of the looking glasses of the woman. And every time the priests entered the tabernacle, they were required to wash their hands and their feet. And in doing so, they would look into the laver, they would see their reflection. And the lever, therefore, served as a mirror to remind them 
that they were sinners, that they were unclean, they needed to be cleansed. Christ's desire was that man would see himself as a sinner, that you would see yourself as a sinner tonight, that you would see yourself in need of God's salvation. Many in our day share a common problem with the rich young ruler. They see all of their commendable characteristics, all the good things uh, that they seem to have. They think, well, I'm not such a bad person. I'm not as bad as that fellow down the street there. I'm not as bad as that guy uh, that you're talking about earlier, preacher. I'm really a good person. You don't see yourself as a sinner in need of the Savior. But there's something else here. There's a resolution of this problem. Look at verse 21. Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. He told him exactly what he must do if he was to be saved. He was challenged personally and pointedly and powerfully to do what was required. There's one thing about the Lord Jesus. He doesn't beat about the bush. He gets to the point. He had to renounce his wealth. This man's money was his God, you see even though he was very moral and upright. His God was money, possessions. Take up your cross, the Lord said. This young man was called to leave the place of position and power and identify himself with the shame of the cross. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this young man was being asked to do. And that's what you're being asked to do tonight. You're to be saved. Turn away from everything and anything you've been trusting in and trust totally and wholly and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ in nothing else for salvation. For there's no salvation in any other but the Lord Jesus Christ. Renounce your wealth. The God of money, the God of material things had taken over this man's life and has taken over the lives of so many in this world today. If it's not the money they actually have, it's the money they want to have and they're coveting to have. Turn from your sin and trust Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Follow Him. It talks about following Christ here. Following Christ. Will you follow Him tonight? Not follow the free Presbyterian church, not follow that man in the pulpit tonight, but follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Get to Christ tonight. If you Take nothing else from this sermon tonight. Take this, that you need to follow Christ. You need to get to Christ. You need Him tonight because it is only Christ that can save you. And Christ reveals who He is. 
You'll notice here in this passage, he said, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Verse 17, verse 18, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Christ reveals who he is, his true identity. To this young man, he declares himself to be God. Jesus is saying, in essence, that if he is good, he is God. And he is good, and he is God. His challenge to this young man is to believe in Christ alone and what he can do for the sinner. Will you do that tonight? something missing. Is Christ merely a good teacher, a good man? A poor individual who got himself killed on the cross? Who is he? If he be anything less than God, then he can never be your Savior. But he's God tonight. He's God. This rich young ruler had the same problem multitudes in this world have today, trusting in everything but the right thing to get them to heaven. Possessions, morality, respectability, and a whole host of other things that people will trust in today. Augustine said this, and listen to this quote. There's a void in the heart that only the Lord can fill. Let me repeat it. There's a void in the heart that only the Lord can fill. When you put your head on the pillow at night, you recognize there's a void in your heart. You're not right with God. If you were to die tonight, you'd be lost. Even from the pews of this church, or from listening online to the services of this church or like services. There's one thing missing. The story of the prisoner who was in prison when uh, Ivan Thompson, some of you will know Ivan Thompson, uh, preacher, evangelist, great character. And this prisoner was big in doing puzzles and woe betide anyone who disturbed him when he was doing it. On one occasion, he, he was doing one, and he got to the end. There was one piece missing. It was missing. You can imagine all the prisoners scattering because they didn't want to be the one that he would accuse of taking the piece. And there he was, it couldn't be found anywhere. The one piece that was missing. Is one piece missing in your life tonight? Thank God you can find that piece here tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ can step into your life and save your soul. You'll notice his preference. He preferred riches. He chose his riches over his own soul. The Bible tells us when Jesus told him in verse 21, 
One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What is it that's keeping you from Christ tonight? What, what is your preference? Or what are your preferences? When, when it comes to salvation, you're going to make a decision. You're going to make it tonight either to receive Christ or reject Christ. What will it be? Sir Isaac Newton said, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. While this is true in the world of nature and science, it is also true in spiritual matters. Your decision in regard to Christ will determine exactly what you can look forward to in eternity. What will your decision be tonight? You will make a decision. Either to accept Christ or reject Him. I pray tonight you will come to Christ. Be saved. Four years after the Titanic went down, a young Scotsman rose in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada, and said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on the spar, on that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow on a piece of wreck near me. Man, said Harper, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away. But strange to say, they brought him back a little nearer, and he said, Are you saved now? No. I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Shortly afterwards, he went down, and there alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. Believed. Was saved. Can you believe tonight? We see his preference. This man made his decision. You see his prospects. And of course, it says here in verse 22, he was sad at that saying, went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He went away grieved. It's an interesting word, that word grieved. It means the gathering of storm clouds. That's what it means. This rich young ruler walked away from the sunshine into the storm. When a person rejects Christ as Savior, they have no other place to turn to, because neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. His prospects for eternity were dark and dismal because he refused Christ. 
And if you receive Christ as your Savior, my friend, you have the promise of heaven. But if you choose to walk away from Christ, you will not find salvation in anyone else or anywhere else. You will end up in hell, separated from God for all eternity. You say, I don't want to go to hell. I, I want to believe. I want to trust Christ. Will you do it tonight? Will you do it now, friend? If you do it, you're guaranteed glory. Think of that thief on the cross. Luke 23, 39 to 43. He had no money. He had no future. He had no hope. He couldn't produce any good works. He could do absolutely nothing for the Lord. He wasn't baptized or attended communion. I don't think he had heard a sermon as far as I understand. As such, all he could do was look to Christ. All he could do was trust in Christ. And that's exactly what he did. And you can do the same tonight. The one thing that's missing is for you to put your hand in the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. Friend, 55 years ago I did that. I know you don't think I'm that age. But 55 years ago, just a few weeks ago, it was my birthday. So I'm 55. But 55 years ago, I did it. I've never regretted I can take you up there, the Ravenhill Road, the very place where I did it, in the, in the room there in 153 Ravenhill Road. That's where we lived. It's a special place in my heart. I'll drive past it, sometimes stop at the traffic lights and look up at the window, my bedroom, where I was saved. I've never regretted it for a single moment. And I tell you this tonight, if you come to Christ, you'll never regret it. It keeps well. God keeps us well, we should say. I trust you'll come tonight. Be saved. May God bless his word to our hearts tonight. We'll